0: Hello and welcome to a Taylor's Tales podcast. This is Chris's Corner. I'm your host, Chris Taylor. And I am back this week with a brand new series and a brand new episode. I'll be investigating Greek mythology along with yourselves. And this week, I'll specifically look into Theseus and the Minotaur. Greek mythology has always fascinated me. And for those out there who are also uh, nerdy and have this uh, sort of interest into the stories told before our time that may not be true but they have a legend they have uh, something of an aura that provides us with intrigue and questions that are never truly answered but they provide a really interesting story to be told And, and here on the the channel I love a good story. I love a good story. I love a good adventure. This story's been told many times in many different ways. Um, I'll be going over some of the details and some of the um, maybe truths and untruths that may have inspired Theseus and the Minotaur. Theseus and the Minotaur appears in many movies that we've all seen. Um, one of the most recent, I think it, it was actually played by Henry Cavill, Um, as Theseus, and The Minotaur had a small sort of part to play in the film overall. It was more of a Henry Cavill was a Theseus, but Theseus in many of his adventures squeezed into one film, Uh, and fantastic film overall. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I feel like um, uh, it had, uh, oh goodness, this is where I forget the main bad guy's name. Uh, and he's he was also an Iron Man too. This bad the bad guy, uh, and he's oh, terrible. It will come back to me later. But anyway, fantastic. Uh, rep- well, I, I wouldn't say a fantastic representation of Greek mythology, but entertaining nonetheless. You had Luke, Luke Evans as Zeus, and it just had an all round fantastic vibe to it when you're trying to get some of the action and the the fun Greek um, sort of mythology that, that that really pings your interest like the the lightning bolts flying from Zeus's hand or the or the the, the crazy creatures that come out when you were watching Hercules when you were younger you know that these these sort of like the um the Hydra for instance there's so many of these things I want to investigate and the Minotaur is really like a quite a, a strange creature you know like a half Um, like bull head with a human body that, you know, jacked and and has the has the ability to, you know, lives in a maze in a labyrinth. Uh, It's fascinating stuff because we don't have these stories nowadays. Like uh, back in the, the past, they had the ability to tell these stories and they were believable. And they were, you know, it's mythology, the word, you know, make belief like myths, you know, tales. It's. It's. I can't imagine there being a story told today in today's, you know, because of social media and because of the the recording of history. There's these, you know, you would you'd say false falsehoods, aren't tellable because people get called on them. But there's a level of interest, isn't there, around looking into these stories and looking into how they play out. So let's get into a little bit of the overview. So. Theseus was an Athenian hero who's on course for you know he was he, he had many tales the golden fleece um, fought with the Amazonians like there, there's, a, there's a whole tale of stuff. Uh, let's start from the beginning. You know what is Theseus and the Minotaur about? What, what what is it? How did it start? Who's how did the Minotaur start? Well, the idea was that uh, I think it's Queen and I've got it written down here in my notes. And I'm gonna pronounce it wrong, most likely. But yet, yeah, son of uh, Posiphae, Posephae. yeah. So the Minotaur was son of Posiphae, uh, and whose wife of King Minos of Crete. Now, the uh, the birth of the Minotaur was out of wedlock, and was with a bull sent down by Zeus. Now, <laughs> I know it's crazy, right? Like Zeus sent down a bull uh, for. I I think at the time it was a way to get back at the king of Crete. I'll probably find this in my notes as we go along, but the, the queen goes on to have an affair with the bull, which leads to the minotaur being born. Now, the king of Crete is so ashamed of this act that he goes on to try and hide the bull, the minotaur. And he asked Diadlius, the great creator, the great um, engineer, to build a palace for the bull to live in. And this palace has roots and walls that scavenge all over the place. It, it becomes the labyrinth. It becomes the maze. Uh, featured in many films, one of which we know from Labyrinth with David Bowie and then many more. And it, it comes on as something of a of a, um, just a legend in itself, the labyrinth itself becomes a thing and, and the minotaur sitting within it. Um, immediate, when I think of the minotaur, you know there's the obvious version but there's also if any of you have watched your highness the comedic movie featuring uh, james franco uh, and danny mcbride i always think of the, the minotaur in in that film uh, and i'm not going to describe it on here because it's a little bit uncouth but it, it nonetheless hilarious scene with with the minotaur and um <laughs> some of the characters in there uh if you if you've seen that film give it give it a like tell, tell, tell me about it in the comments section so Queen Persephate, yes, slept with the bull sent by Zeus and gave birth to a minotaur, creating a half man, half bull. King Minos was embarrassed, but did not want to kill him. So he hid him in the labyrinth. Yeah, The result of the, uh, of the bestial union um, led to Daedalus building a vast palace comprising of a maze like network uh, of corridors and rooms and then had the minotaur placed in the palace. The palace was named the labyrinth. Uh, and i love that i love the whole story there we already have a backstory for the the minotaur the minotaur doesn't even need a backstory the minotaur could just be the minotaur and it's fascinating to know that there's a half man half bull we don't even need the the prequel to the story behind this this creature that theseus would go on to because it's a creature it's like the hydra you don't need to know how the hydra was created you just know the Hydra's there we fight it I and mean, it's you know it's evil it's bad we always think of these things actually and I think this sort of these details actually make the monitor a little bit more human which can take away some of like the the bestial sort of negative emotions towards the um the an you know the, the story and how it's good versus evil sort of thing it makes the monitor seem less evil so it's interesting to to look into this so moving on so who is King Minos of Crete uh this you know, character who's so embarrassed by the union of his wife cheating on him with a bull. (laughs) is pretty, pretty mental in in, in how it's told. So this is because Minus had, uh, yes, so Minus had defeated the Athenians in a war. I knew we'd get to this bit where we'd involve Zeus uh, and demanded the city offer up tributes as if you, like the spoils of war. Um, And the bull that Poseidon had bought out the sea so that Minos could uh, sacrifice it to him. However, Minos is taken by the bull, a handsome beast and useful to have as a stud for his cattle. That, sacri- uh, that he sacrificed a different animal and hoped Poseidon wouldn't notice. So we, you, you hear the details here. I've said Poseidon and I've said the bull was sent by Zeus. These details are sort of flipped in and out of different interpretations of the story. So you have Poseidon in this case. You have Zeus in another, and so Poseidon in this case. So not Zeus, but Zeus did also. Is you know it's switched around. I'm pretty sure the sacrifice could have been done to either god. Uh, so the the bull uh, the bull was made savage by whichever god <laughs> would be, and became a menace to Minus and Persephae. Minus. His wife desired the bull, and as you said, yeah, she asked Diadlius, her husband's master craftsman, to help her with the dilemma and create a heifer made of wood and leather not a wooden horse, then but a wooden cow into which Persephone could climb on and then mate with the bull. Whatever <laughs> floats your boat, hey, I've got written down here. <laughs> yes, it is a strange story to be told. So the whole You know, backstory incurs because the king of Crete basically gains the wrath of the gods to come down and strike thee, and strike thee with uh, quite embarrassing start. I mean, it's quite, it's interesting. It's almost like the gods in Greek mythology have a sense of humor. You know, you never see in Christian stories, this sort of, you know, there's a funniness to this. There's something humorous to this story in the sense that, you know, the, the Greeks made the gods seem like human in their in their sense and there's a level of maybe a little bit of arrogance in there because we you know how can you make a god seem human but it's characteristics isn't it you know in in christianity they say um they god made us in his image well if he did then you know he's, he's rather a funny guy don't you think and that that's that's it right there isn't it if you know we hit the nail on the head there's a little bit of humor that is missing from some of the some of the biblical um, not biblical, normally saying the sort of spiritual guides, let's call them. When it comes down to the Bible, um, comes down to the Quran, comes down to any of any of the books used to reference. So it's it's really interesting to see some of the characteristics within the gods of, of Greece. Uh, and I, you know what, I prefer them. It's relatable, isn't it? So how does Athens come into this? Moving on so son of minus Andragus, went to athens to participate uh, to the uh, Pananthi- uh, Pan- oh my god i can never pronounce this the panathenaic games but he was killed during the marathon by the bull that impregnated his mother perseve minus was infuriated and demanded Agus, the king of athens to send seven men and a woman every year uh, to the to the minotaur to invent the plague caused by the death of his son Interesting the story progresses. So we have King of Crete sends his son to the, the to the games to compete. And he's killed by the bull. And so he has Athens pay tribute to him by saying, send men and women to be slaughtered by the minotaur you know, to, to be slaughtered and to go to, you know, as a sacrifice, ironically, it's almost like the king of Crete becomes what he himself has fallen to. He becomes the, the gods asking for sacrifice and not receiving it in this case, or it, he does receive it, but it's, it's the non-receiving that leads the story down further. It's this hubris that we see in these stories that are fascinating. So moving on a little bit to the labyrinth, just a few details. The labyrinth was such a complicated construction that no one could ever find their way out alive. Built by the cunning Diadless, a king, uh, a, well Diadles is craftsman of as we've talked about before. There dwelt the Minotaur, a man with the head and tail of a bull. These little details, right, that when we talk about the the labyrinth, is our key because the way that stories are told you never really get into the architecture or the surroundings there's some really key aspects when we talk about a story we want to hear about the environment the characters are in because it builds a picture in our mind the labyrinth it's got you know it's thick dark walls that are endless and no one ever makes it out of life these these details provide us almost a non-living thing with character I've seen it done by some of the best authors out there. When you'd think of, I know Neil Gaiman when he's talking about some of his funnier characters, or Terry Pratchett when he's talking about um, some of his cities that he builds, it's almost like the cities are alive with the characters because of the, the characteristics in the, in the like non-living being that is the city. It's imp- you, you know it provides us with some serious story building and real impact into whether you enjoy the story or not anyway moving on moving down further into my notes so theseus we're moving on to the main character i know we've we've got a little bit of backstory now we've we've done a little bit more world world building so who you know theseus theseus son of argus yes returning character Decided to be one of the seven young men that would go to Crete in order to kill the Minotaur and end the human sacrifice to the monster. King Argus tried to make him change his mind, but Theseus was determined to slay the Minotaur. Key difference here, right? In the some of the representations of Theseus in movies, we don't—he's normally represented sometimes like a slave or you know someone of of non-noble birth. In this case, we know for a fact that he's actually you know, a, a king's son, he's a prince. And it's quite, you know, key to this story. There's, you know, we've talked about humour, you know, where, where, where we have this sort of comedy. There's also tragedy in this story, and we'll get to that later on, but it's important to say we start with a little bit of comedy and some, some seriousness, some seriousness in there, but at the same time, it's quite comedic in, in how it starts. The story goes on and it progresses and it gets into a more action action based um, story. So Theseus promised to his father that he would put a white sail up coming back from Crete, allowing him to know to advance that he was coming back alive. The boat would return with black sails if Theseus was killed. Important detail we'll refer to back later. Yes, so Theseus met Princess, Ar- I'm, again, another name I'm going to mispronounce, Iridian, Arid- 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 daughter of King Minos, who fell madly in love with him and decided to help Theseus. She gave him a thread and told him to unravel it uh, as he would penetrate deeper and deeper into the labyrinth so that he knows his way out uh, when he kills the Minotaur. Again, we get another character added to this story. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a kind of a strange one because Princess Ar- Ardney is kind of like, um, she's sort of swept aside in this story. And it, it, to me, it's kind of strange to think that she plays such a key role in, in providing Theseus with his life, basically, because the strand uh, of, you know, this strand of life, almost. So the by giving him the thread, the threads really key in Greek mythology, because it represents life itself, because the three sisters or the three one eyed sisters that you may have heard of, um, you know they're, they're the sisters of fate. They hold people's lives in their hands and they they cut the 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 thread when someone's about to die so the thread plays a key role in in how people's in in the greek mythology stories and we'll get further into this as we go into more stories and more series delved into i think it's really intriguing to know that you know threads play the role of life or death in this story as well as in these the, the uh, sisters fates and if i'm Not wrong, I'm pretty sure Theseus comes into contact with the the one-eyed sisters or the sisters of fates later down the line. So Theseus followed her suggestions, her being Princess Aradne, and entered the labyrinth with the thread. Theseus manages to kill the Minotaur and save the Athenians. And with Aradne's thread, he manages to retrieve, uh, to retrace his way out. Do you see how quick that was? In the story, and I've, I've read some of these details, I've looked online, That there's not a lot of detail about, you know, the killing of the Minotaur. It's almost just, he kills the Minotaur. There's no special way about it. There's no real, you know, when, the, when you talk about some of these Greek mythological stories, the hero finds some sort of way into defeating, you know, the mirror when you're fighting, you um, the snake head headed lady uh, minute. I want to say Minerva. It's not Minerva. It's oh, going to people are probably shouting at me, Chris, it's this, it's this, um, but I'll get back to that. That's another story for another day, but you know, the, the tactic to defeat the monster, there is none in this story. Uh, and if there is, please tell me because I, I did not see any details on it. Um, defeating the Minotaur was just, he's killed, you know, he's defeated like that. And it's kind of, just that's it. The Minotaur is defeated and we move on to the next part of the story. You know, we, the story builds the Minotaur up so much that, you know, the fact that he's just killed by Theseus, done, dusted. It's, it kind of makes you question, like, why did you tell us about the Minotaur in the first place, Chris? I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I, I get shocked by these because there's a lot of really interesting baddies in Greek mythology as well. Hades being one of my favourites because he's just so fun to to, to understand and, and, and see. And also some of the Titans. You know, the Titans are con- consistently shown as just like sort of 2D characters and that they were bad and that's it, dead. But I think there's actually more to them than that. And we'll get into those later on. So, yes, Theseus has killed them and he retraces his steps. And so his next... Part of the story is that he takes Princess Erodne with him to Crete, sailing happily back to Athens. And he, him and his, his new, you know, he's, he's like, oh, I've taken her, I've successfully killed the Minotaur. I now have this beautiful princess with me. Well, what does he do on his way back? Well, he, here's a kicker for you. He drops off Princess Erodne along the way back to Crete. He just leaves her there. He just drops her off and that's it. Bye bye lady who's who's basically saved saved me uh from the minotaur but well from the labyrinth because it's almost as if the labyrinth plays a more a greater role in the story than the minotaur who who dwells within it um and and the solution to the labyrinth is has greater detail than the the the, the minotaur himself in how to defeat him interesting also so i think So one final detail in Theseus's story involving the Minotaur concerns his journey home. Having killed the Minotaur, Theseus sets sail for home, but forgets to change the the black sails to the white ones, as his father has instructed. This meant that Argus, king of Athens, was waiting at the top of the Acropolis for his son to return and saw the black sailed ship returning and feared that his son was dead. Uh, Argus plunged himself into the sea below and drowned. This, the myth says, is why the sea is named Ar- <laughs> yeah, Argonian to this day. That's, that, you know, how crazy is that that small detail would come back in, you know, the white to black sails and the fact that if <laughs> if he just done the what his father had told him if he just paid that, that that little bit more attention he would have lived and he wouldn't have died and this is what i mean by the tragedy this is a story of starts with comedy and it ends with his father committing suicide because he thinks his son is dead because he's been killed by the Minotaur. it's just a roller coaster ride all over the place and you've got to think to yourself like what when they were creating, creating this story There's there's a level of Shakespeare in it. You know, comedy and tragedy. Um, One moment you've got Benedict and Beatrice together hating each other at the beginning and then at the end they're falling madly in love. It's this contrast, this juxtaposition. And I love it. I love change. I like difference. And I like characters who have this juxtaposition and these stories that provide us with such a contrast of going from... Funny, lustful, you know, romance with a with a, a you know a being of a bull and a you know this funny union between the the wife of a king and a bull sent down from the gods as a way to basically punish that king. It's really interesting, and so that's really the story. This short story of the the first part of the Greek mythology podcast. So now I'm just going to delve into some of the alternate facts um, that go through the story and can be changeable. As we talked about, Princess Varadne, you know, she pay, plays quite a key role, but she's thrown away so quickly. And I've got something written down here that's really nice, n- nicely put that, that, that sort of sums that up. These is subsequent abandonment of Varadne, whether down to personal choice or not, shows how messy things could get, even in the most archetypal myths. Even after she had helped him to defeat the miners or putting herself at risk, if her father discovered the truth, he is quick to cut himself loose with her, even though she puts herself at risk for him. Even heroes have their flaws. Indeed, the Greeks believed that the tragic flaw is what made a hero. Isn't that interesting? We're so easy to judge people for their flaws in today's society, but the Greeks believed that the flaw was something and as a uh, you know this brings up the word hubris again the idea of the flawed character is actually the hero you're not perfect and you never will be but that makes you closer to the hero than you are to the villain isn't that great it makes these stories more relatable to today even though they were written hundreds of years ago they're more relatable than some of the you know stories that we see written in the tabloids or in the news or in social media or anything like that we've got stories of old that are still here still available and still kicking with such interest and depth that it's hard to think that why we, we would ever forget them so Aradney doesn't add you know in some of the stories this flips in and out again. One of the other things is that she doesn't give Theseus a ball of thread, but a, a luminous crown, a wedding gift from Dionysus. Now, Dionysus is the engineering god. Um, and again, the gods play a, quite a big role in any of these stories and how they just play with people's lives. And it brings back that idea of the thread, the idea that these, you know, people lives hang on the balance well the the gods interchange changeably change that balance from time to time and it does really bring up the interest of fates and destiny and the ability for you to have control or with the gods ability to interact with these characters it provides us with this inability to know that there's a force we don't have any control over and i think that's what makes these stories great is that there's so much of a a uncontrolled that, that there's a linear pattern but at the same time at any moment it could just change because of god intervenes and change the whole story and so the crown would be like a glow-in-the-dark tool for theseus to to illuminate him as his way out of the dark labyrinth again and bringing up that those characteristics those interesting parts of the labyrinth that it makes it more alive it's dark it's gloomy it's you can't see a way out so it's interesting to see that there's a thread and then there was a crown of light again both playing the crown of light luminous sight being able to see being able to identify is really a key fact in it not key fact a key player in these stories as well because being able to identify something is being able to understand what its role is in the world and we immediately point to the minotaur and say that's evil that's not good and therefore we need to kill it (laughs) and then you've got the labyrinth that's dangerous we need to have something to be able to brighten it up in order to understand our way out it's quite interesting to think about the labyrinth because it is in the dark it's the unknown it's the scary unknown and that's what we're all scared of. We are scared. That's why we're so afraid of death. It's because we don't know what's on the other side. It's like, but if you if you treasure life and you understand and you illuminate it with the crown, you are no longer afraid of that death. And it's that idea of the labyrinth once become light. It's no longer the scary characteristics that they used to have. So the story of Theseus slaying the Minotaur remains one of the best known tales of Greek mythology, with Theseus, the archetypal classical hero, and Aradne's devotion representing pure love. I'm saying pure love here because it's really intriguing here that the woman shows such devotion to this man, and yet she's just cast away. And some of these stories do play that, and it is kind of like, yeah, there's a sexist element to it. Um, and it's just like some of these women are just thrown away as characteristics and don't really have the development as a character. But as you can see in this, you know, Ardney has has a key role that plays all of these like ticks all the boxes, you know, and yet our character is still flawed. So it, it does pe- play this sort of, you know. You can like the main character, but you can't like him too much because he's still done stupid stuff like this. I like that. It's, it's like it, you can't have, you know, it's like looking at Superman. Superman got boring when he became too perfect. It's his ability to be able to have his kryptonite that makes him interesting. That He has a weak point. Uh, I, I agree again with the Greeks and how they said that a flawed hero, um, a flawed person, man is a hero. And that's what makes a hero. And it's interesting. I'll leave you on this set against this. The base of lust is what made the Minotaur with its ferocity and bullish instincts to say nothing. It's predatory nature. It was, after all, the product of a union foundation of lust. Isn't it interesting to think that this story starts with you know this comedic idea of a, a woman and a bull and It ends in suicide and the idea that we've got lust as caused by a a repercussion of not paying homage to the gods. It is a fascinating idea that these characteristics of going from, you know, the lust between a a bull and and a, a queen, and then you have pure love from... Aradne, and then you have the hero who goes on to kill the bull and show the world the right thing to do and be fierce and brave all of these characteristics these what a lot of us see as like either the seven deadly sins or the, or, or the keys to life or anything like that or, or good characteristics a lot of them are shown in this story and it's all in you know just like that it feels like it's just oh wow that's a big story done wow All over and within that we break it down and there's a lot there's a lot of depth in there and I think there's a lot of characteristics in Greek mythology that have that they've got these you know they've got good they've got evil but it's not just black and white like that there's such depth to these characters and I think that the detail in going into the backstory of the Minotaur brings in the stories details of these characteristics to contrast by the end of the story because if we just had theseus you know is the king's son why is he going to kill the minotaur why is what's the relationship between him going to just kill the minotaur and be a hero because that's normally the story isn't it just like go go kill the hit and become the hero and everyone loves you but in this one we relate king argus to the king of Crete. And we understand the backstory and we understand why, you know, Theseus is going to defeat the Minotaur for his father. And we understand that Aradene isn't the, you know, isn't too, you know, <laughs> sort of worried about her father finding out about the detail of helping Theseus, the son of the man who got his other son killed. So it's intriguing to to look at this ability. Um, between all of these different characters playing their role and playing an overall story. Fascinating, as always. I really hope you enjoyed this, and I really hoped that this short story in Greek mythology you know gets you a little bit of a taster for what's yet to come. So I'll leave you on this. This has been a Taylor's Tales podcast. This has been Chris's Corner. I'm your host, Chris Taylor. And as always, I'll see you here this time next week.